Hi, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. My name is Donna Pastera. Welcome. Today's episode is going to be in two parts. And the first part is going to be about something that we called a runcation. I'm sure we don't have that, you know, market cornered or the name trademarked or anything. But um, when you live in the Rio Grande Valley, which again is at the southern tip of Texas, see McAllen, and it takes a good five to six hours just to get yourself up to one of these races. And that's not always, you know, an easy thing. I mean, it's, it's a lot of driving. It's, it, it incurs expense because you're going to have to probably stay in a hotel. And of course you're going to be eating along the way, um, which of course we don't really mind that part. But, um, this, this particular race is about six hours away from the Rio Grande Valley and you lose phone service up there. It's held at Colorado Bend State Park. Um, which is sort of a nice thing in, in, in a lot of ways because it sort of forces you to unplug. And <laughs> we used to have these contests after uh, we would finish the race and be driving home and we'd be seeing who got phone service first. <clears throat> I can tell you that Verizon does pretty good. Okay, so that's actually that persuaded one of my friends to get a... Uh, a Verizon accounts, <laughs> just a, not necessarily a plug, but that's just my experience. Okay. So this race is the third in the four race series, uh, called Captain Carl's. It's put on by Tejas Trails and it is, uh, put on by race director, Brad Quinn. This race, Colorado Bend, uh, started in 2012. And in fact, I, I participated in that first race that was actually my first big boy trail race and i i just did the 10k that time uh we camped and um (laughs) which was a really bad thing but anyway uh but it was it, it was just such a cool experience and i was just so blown away by just the beauty of that place that i was like i've got to come back and do this every year and so then i'm kind of graduated uh from the 10k to doing the 30k series uh, or the 30k race and um, which is a different beast altogether and this particular episode is going to talk about my first experience handling that 30k race at Colorado Bend so that's kind of interesting Um, so yeah so these races start like around seven or eight at night and there's a I think the 60k 30k and a 10k this year for those of you who are interested they added a 20k distance so that's kind of nice it gives you that little mid-distance kind of thing you're going to do a couple loops rather than just one big loop like you might do for the 30k so the other thing about this particular race is that it's um it's really challenging it's uh, i you will hear me talk about this later at some point um, in another episode, but I refer to this place as Satan's Driveway because that's pretty much what it is. Um, but at this point, I didn't realize it was, and so I was still kind of green and you know bright-eyed and excited and decided, hey, this will be so much fun. So this trip started out um, 
Oh, I know. One other thing I wanted to mention uh, is that this race is coming up the first weekend, uh, the first Saturday in August for those of you who might want to sign up. And I will put a link in the show notes about that in case you're interested. And I'm going to link to a few other things just so you can certain things that I'm talking about, like where things are or names of places, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, so you can kind of play along at home. So, yeah, so the first part is about this runcation, and I went up with my friend Orly and three other girls, and we stuffed everything we possibly could into the back of his vehicle. Actually, I think it was his wife's vehicle. Oh, I think, no, I lied. This was actually in the back of my friend Celinda's vehicle. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. We just stuffed a bunch of things into the back of the vehicle and, and it looked like we were going to Mars or something because you know, a simple weekend trip can you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna need and so you start just, you know, piling everything from your closet or, you know, dresser drawers into a bag and then you're bringing chairs and headlamps and changes of clothes and oh my god, it's and changes of shoes. And yeah, before you know it, it you know, we we did. We looked like we were you know, going to a different planet. But anyway, it's a, it's a pretty funny thing. So anyway, so that's what the first part of this is going to be about. And then the second part is going to be about the actual race of our 30K night trail race. My friends and I went to a wine tasting. <laughs> it's hilarious to type that, but it's true. We wandered into the Wedding Oak Winery around 11 a.m. on a Saturday. And after looking around for a few minutes, we decided that the five of us should split two tastings worth of wine for $12 between us. David will kill me if he knew, if he knew that I was doing this, I said, referring to my pseudo-running coach. I, I seriously doubt that wine is any part of a race day training plan. But there's so little poured into the shared glasses that there was little chance of getting intoxicated. But still, it was kind of an irreverent part of the morning. And this was already our third stop of the day, and it wasn't even noon. Our first stop was Larry's Corner Cafe. The lot in front of the place was overflowing, and we guessed that the cars in the adjacent lot were Larry's customers, and we took that as a good sign. The place is a two-room diner with tables and chairs haphazardly arranged in kind of an overcrowded living room sort of way, and we took this last available table after some uncertainty about whether we got a waitress or we had to order at the counter, but we discovered it was the former. A frazzled young woman wearing jeans and an orange t-shirt advertising some other restaurant came by. She managed to get a couple of orders written down before Larry, her grandfather, appeared. She looked annoyed and asked her grandfather to take our orders while she performed some task that he couldn't do. Larry, wearing a ball cap, plaid shirt, and jeans, looked uncertain about his new role. As Celinda began to give him her order, she paused and offered to write it down for him. Larry seemed to like this idea, so that's what we did. He got a phone call on his cell, and we heard him talking about half of a hog. Orly's face lit up at the mention of pork. Actually, Orly's face will light up at the mention of pretty much any food item. It turns out Larry runs the local slaughterhouse and meat processing plant, and he was getting the meat ready for a quinceanera that, that evening. Orly was angling to be invited, knowing full well that we had a race to run. But he thought he'd give it a shot. 
later we overheard Larry talking into his cell about inviting a group of people over to the party, but, oh darn, it wasn't possible. <laughs> that Larry. Since the granddaughter seemed to be overwhelmed with her duties, we went ahead and served ourselves coffee. When she'd noticed what we'd done, she exclaimed, They are the best customers ever! The meal was delicious. The bacon and other meat products tasted better than what you could buy in a store, which led us to think that the slaughterhouse might be responsible in a good way. When we paid our bill, the gray-haired woman whom we imagined was Larry's wife said, You've all had an experience. You could say that. And after stuffing ourselves at breakfast, <laughs> we headed a few doors down to the San Saba Olive Oil Company. The place and the winery across the street are new additions to the city's downtown reinvention. Owner James Brozo told us that a few years ago, city leaders wanted to tidy up the town and bring in a new upscale type of business. So the town is already home to some incredible historic homes, um, and it was settled in 1856. By improving the downtown little by little, the plan is to make it a star attraction not unlike nearby Fredericksburg. The olive oil place has shiny terrines with spigots where you can taste the contents by filling tiny plastic cups. Brozo has bread cubes and clear containers on tables nearby where you can dip the oil or vinegar. Somehow, breakfast seemed so long ago once I started tasting the spoils of this place. My favorites were uh, lemon-infused olive oil and a pear champagne vinegar. I had to buy some. Well, we all did. And before we left, a man in his late 60s happened by, another local. He was intrigued that we were runners from the Rio Grande Valley. And he glanced at Orly and said, You run, too? <laughs> Orly, for all his love of food, is a good runner, and he's much faster than me. It made me giggle that this guy was judging him. The man held up an empty glass bottle and said to Orly, Now, if you were a thinking man, what would you put in this bottle? Olive oil or a fine whiskey? I think the answer was pretty clear. Whiskey. San Saba is also known as the pecan capital of the world, and I'm not sure how one proves this, but since I have no other way to gauge this claim, I'll disbelieve them. So the final stop on our town tour, we swung into Alamo, pecan, and coffee. And when we were at the olive oil place, the local men were debating about which place in town uh, would be open for us and which one would be best. They sort of gave Alamo the side eye because it's run by a woman from Tennessee. <laughs> the place is more of a coffee house that features pecans. Its decor isn't as simplistic and classic as the winery or the olive oil place. So think if Stuckey's went classy, that's pretty much how I would describe it. There are ceramic salt and pepper shakers, coffee mugs with cutesy sayings, and jars of salsa that I could buy at HEB. But to their credit, the owners had a big open tin of pecans flavored in various ways, chocolate-covered, dipped in sweet stuff, and plain. This was a nice draw for me, despite having just eaten breakfast and sampling bread cubes. My companions bought goodies, but I white-knuckled it and did not. The day before, I had dropped $75 at REI in San Antonio, and not to mention what I was spending today. Afterward, we returned to our rented bungalow at Evening Star Cottages, which pretty much like everything else in town was a little gem. For $89 a night, we got a furnished two-story place with a kitchen, refrigerator, and plenty of places to sleep. Orly 
called the Harry Potter room, which was the sweet little spot underneath the staircase. We girls figured it was a fair trade for him after spending a weekend with four women. We ladies each got a bed or a futon or sleeper sofa in the massive bedroom upstairs. The only drawback <clears throat> is that there was only one bathroom, and this led to an amusing array of spray deodorizer cans and a bottle of lavender fabuloso on the back of the toilet. All in all, though, it was one of my favorite runcations. These trips are not only a getaway from our usual surroundings, but they give us an opportunity to check out the unusual spots. San Saba really charmed me, and I really look forward to returning next year. All right, here comes part two, and I call this one Overcoming Mental Demons. I was about two and a half miles into Saturday night's 30K trail race at Colorado Bend State Park when my toe caught on a rock, on a flat, and I hit the dirt hard. My left knee was scraped and bleeding. My left side was covered in debris, but I got up and dusted myself off and I just kept going without attending to my knee. The first aid station was about a half mile away and I figured I could just deal with it then. My speedier friends were long gone and I was pretty much alone. And I was okay with that, although doubt seeped into my psyche. I was already falling before the first aid station. Good God, what would the remaining 16 miles be like? And then these zippy shirtless guys passed me going in the opposite direction on the trail. And so I stepped off. Oh yeah, there were the 10 cares. I was a little envious of them because they, they would be done long before I was even halfway. I got some Gatorade and a little something to clean off my knee at the aid station and then I headed back out. I remembered this stretch from the previous year. It was the last part of the 10K, flat with tall grass and lots of trees. I kept going, listening to the gentle sound of ice sloshing around in one of my bottles, and I just tried to settle into some kind of a rhythm. Somewhere around mile five or six, I stumbled again, caught myself, but despair gripped my stomach. No one was anywhere near me, and I knew there were others behind me and plenty in front of me, but I still felt alone, and I was a little scared of what I was doing. The old demons of self-doubt started returning. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I should just stick to things that I know I can do. I'm too slow for this. And then I started having an anxiety attack. I could feel the panic rising and I tried to quiet it. Normally, I don't mind running alone, but that night I just needed some reassurance. Well, reassurance was just around the bend, literally. I heard a male and female voice ahead. I felt better. And better yet, I recognized them, Ben and Sammy. Ben is a veteran trail runner, claimant of many 100-mile finishes, and one of my dearest running friends. Seeing him instantly calmed me down. His then-girlfriend, Sammy, was a bubbly, chatty woman who exuded enthusiasm, and she also tends to run at my pace. Uh, Sammy was planning to run with Ben for the first 30K of his 60K race, and I asked them if they minded company, and they said, no, come join us. So a few minutes later, another runner, Rick, came up behind me and we got talking and I mentioned that I was thinking that I should stick to shorter distances and maybe cycling. Never make a decision about another race until you finish the one that you're doing. That was his advice. True. I swore I'd never do a half marathon after my first and now I've done a lot of them. So when I mentioned that I lived in the Rio Grande Valley, Rick got excited. Do you know Ben Martinez? I almost burst out laughing. Uh, that would be him right there, as I pointed toward Ben. Rick mentioned how much he admires Ben and ended up moving in front of me and Sammy so he could talk to him. Soon the boys took off and Sammy and I decided to stick together and let the guys go on ahead. 
And not long after, we switched on our headlamps and I took another spill, this time on the right side. The rocks on this course are sneaky. They're submerged in the flats, and if you're not careful, your toe will catch one and then you'll fall. A little while later, Sammy urged me to go on ahead. I did, but I heard her throw up. And I was worried about her because heat exhaustion is what cost me a finish at Pedernales Falls a couple of months earlier. But she came bounding up the trail afterward, perky as always, and seemed she drank too much cold water and it just disagreed with her stomach. The night wore on, the stars were amazing, and I had to keep reminding myself to look up at them and appreciate them. That part was a really calming experience. And then three ladies from different parts of Texas were trailing behind us, and they were angry that the trail was so rocky and difficult to navigate. And for us two flatlanders, it was hard, but you know we've done enough of these trail races to expect a lot of rocks. So when we arrived at the third aid station, this guy called me by name. I swung around and I looked at him. I didn't recognize him. How do I know you? I'm Frank. I met you last year at this race. And then it came back to me. <laughs> he and his wife bailed out my friends and I with tent assembly the previous year. We'd gotten to the park just before dark and none of us really knew what we were doing. And I'm forever grateful for their help because we still might be there struggling. The aid station volunteers asked us what we needed and promptly got it for us. One woman remarked that we looked good in terms of not dying and was heartened by our chipper moods. I guess she'd been seeing more than a few people like the aforementioned ladies. Frank said that the next five or so miles wouldn't be as bad as the three that we'd just gone through, and we were relieved. But once we were back on the trail, I wondered if he was just overly optimistic. This trail is a bunch of exploded rocks all over the place, and you have to walk it or you risk tripping. As it was, I tripped and fell again and again, just walking. Sammy threw up again, but it was but she was fine afterward. I joke that we should be team puke and fall. The way to mentally survive these runs is to just think about the distance between aid stations. If you think about the entire amount of the run, it can really mess with your head, and little chunks seem much more doable than one big piece. By this point, I was certain I wouldn't DNF, which was a huge relief. My magical system of alternating perpetuum and Gatorade along with water and the occasional gel and S cap seemed to be working. I was tired, but I wasn't miserable. A mile or two before the final aid station, we got lapped by a few 60Kers who were finishing their second loop. It was kind of cool to watch these guys, and they were guys, running gracefully uphill, somehow oblivious to the jagged terrain. We were tripping even though we were walking, and I have no idea how these guys did it. But it made me proud to share the trail with these guys and have them say encouraging things to me or to us as they passed. And by the time we made it to the final aid station, the complaining women were up behind us. They had left one of their companions sitting on a rock about three miles back, and they were describing her to one of the volunteers and said if she didn't come through in an hour, that they should go look for her. I remembered her and that none of them were carrying much water. And I asked if the stranded person was out of water, and they said, yeah, she was. And I looked at the volunteer and I said, you need to go get her. You can't just leave somebody stranded out there who's already mentally breaking down. And the last I saw of them, the volunteers were scrambling to send a ranger out to get her. As in any race, the final few miles always seemed to be the longest. The aid station ended up being just past 16 miles, so I figured we had two and a half to go. <laughs> Unfortunately, the distance was more like three and change. 
But my spirits began to soar. I'm not going to DNF, was echoing through my mind. And as we slogged uphill, we ran across two of our buddies, Dot and Ace. They're into their second loop for the 60K, and both are accomplished trail runners, and I noticed that they were walking. And it made me feel better knowing that even some of the best have to walk at times. We chatted with them for a few minutes, and at this point, the idea of finishing within a reasonable amount of time was gone. Not long after, we saw Ben, and he was on his second loop, and he gave us a report about who of our friends had finished and where they were on the trail, and I was actually surprised to hear that some of my friends were still out there. Clearly, this trail was killing everyone. After more up and down, tiptoeing across rocks, we encountered a flat. I recognized it. The finish line was near. I could faintly make out the red light of the clock. You want to run it in, Sammy asked. You bet. So we took off. I was amazed I still had the energy to run, but I was so excited about finishing, I didn't even question it. We crossed the finish line in 625.20 and 625.24, respectively, with me being the slower one. Joe Prusatis, the race director, awaited us. He said, I'll trade you a finisher's medal for your chip. And I did. I could also hear my friends cheering from the finish line. It occurred to me that being in the master's category, I might have placed regardless of my slow finishing time. And sure enough, I took third. Bonus. I got a hand-drawn picture of a wild bird created by Mrs. Captain Carl, the wife of the race's founder. By now, it was going on 2 a.m., but it may as well have been 2 in the afternoon. I was happily chattering about the race, and Orly asked if I was on drugs or had snorted perpetuum. I didn't understand. He explained that I had so much energy still. Oh, <laughs> that was just the excitement mixed with relief and adrenaline. And David, he seemed sincerely happy and relieved for me. He told me at the start that quitting was not an option, even if I had to walk it in. And I was grateful for that advice because I know I wouldn't have made it without that guidance. And that concludes this particular episode. Thank you so much for listening, and um, we'll have some more fun in store for you very soon. Um, if you like this podcast, uh, subscribe to it. I'm going to get it on iTunes and some of the other services soon. Um, I'm just trying to get all this figured out. It's This is just a slight bit more work than I had expected it to be, but it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and yeah, so Colorado Bend, I, I, I recommend it. It's a great race and, uh, check it out. See you next time.